0: what is good everyone welcome to the outside the box podcast my name is nick ingvall and on this podcast i try to introduce you to new ways of thinking about the sneaker business the footwear industry uh, provide you an insight into opportunities way that ways that people are making a living in this business or you know even in adjacent businesses that are relevant to the sneaker community and the sneaker world and today is a really awesome full circle moment for me because today's guest is somebody i actually worked with on a project when I was a content manager for Finish Line, probably back in like 2013 or so. Dre has written, I think, 27 or 28 books. He is the CEO of his own company. He had a career playing professional basketball overseas. Just in general has like a a, a tremendous resume and a tremendous work ethic. I wanted to kind of learn more about his work ethic, how he's written so many books, how he's done all the things that he's done. And I get to catch up with him today. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of Outside the Box. Make sure you like, favorite, subscribe wherever you're at. Uh, leave a review if you enjoy it. I don't normally ask these things, but if you could leave me a comment or, or some feedback, that would be great because it would be nice to know what you're enjoying and, you know, give me the, the good and the bad. I'm, I'm willing to take both. So anyway, let's get into this conversation with Dre Baldwin. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. I'm excited for today's conversation. I get to catch up with someone who I first met, I want to say probably eight or nine years ago when I was working for Finish Line and we put together a little basketball campaign in New York City uh, called The Fundamentals. If you're around then, um, you already know Dre Baldwin. How are you doing, man? Welcome to the show.
1: I'm doing excellent, Nick. Thank you for having me on. Uh, How are you?
0: Doing well, man, doing well. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to catch up. It's been, a, it's been a, a heck of a journey for both of us since that point in time. Um, you know, we've got uh, yeah. probably, let's see, just to give a background on Dre's, Dre, is, Dre puts in more work than anybody that I've ever known on the internet. And that's saying a lot considering I've spent 20 years on the internet. Dre has been uploading YouTube videos for a solid 15, 16 years. He has been a an author uh, for almost as long. He's working on twenty his twenty eighth book. Um, I have picked up a couple of those. Most recently was Work on Your Game, which you could see he's sporting the hat. Um, but. I just figure I'd toss it to you, Dre, and let you give more of, more of a background on yourself and how you got started with basketball and, and, you know, then transitioned into becoming an author and, you know, kind of just as uh, an entrepreneur of all sorts at this point, right?
1: Sure. Yes, yeah, so I'll give the, the two-minute background. Uh, you got the name right. My name is Dre Baldwin. Uh, many know me as Dre all day. Uh, hometown Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now I live in South Florida and Miami. Uh, and my background, I was always into sports, you know, played all the sports growing up in the, in the neighborhood, eventually got into basketball pretty late for anyone who wants to go somewhere in ball and start playing. until I was around age 14 after playing some baseball, some football. Wasn't very good at first, but I just kept going to the park by myself. You know, nobody taught me how to play basketball. Nobody took me under their wing. So I literally self-taught in basketball, worked on my game. Made my high school team as a senior, finally, sat on the bench that one year, averaged two points a game, uh, walked on at a Division three college. That's where I played college basketball. And anybody who knows the sports world knows that D3 athletes are not the ones who are even dreaming about making a pro, let alone do they actually make it happen. I was able to make that happen, started a nine-year you know, up-and-down journey in pro basketball. But at the same time, when I started playing ball overseas, I started putting videos on this new website called YouTube, and this is 2005. And... Didn't know YouTube was going to become a thing. I just put the video on YouTube because I had it on a VHS tape. You remember those? Nick? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I had, the, I had the VHS tape. I just put it on YouTube because I knew a digital video wouldn't know. It doesn't get destroyed when it gets wet, like a VHS tape. That's the only reason I got on YouTube. But then I noticed that people were watching the video, even comments like, yo, who taught you how to play or how often do you practice? And I realized that there was an underserved market of people who were just like me. They wanted to learn how to play, but there was nobody to teach them. The advantage that they had now, this that next wave of players was that they could go to the Internet and kind of crowdsource their knowledge. Whereas people like me and you, we had to learn on our own or unless we had somebody around to teach us. So it wasn't until maybe 2008, 2009, around that time that I realized that this Internet thing was a thing, because up to that point, if you are blogging or making videos for a living, you were some bum living in your mom's basement. Right. (laughs) But then around 2008 through 2010, that's when the shift happened. And everybody's like, oh, wait a minute. You could actually build a career or at least make some side money. At least now we know it's a career. But at that time, we were like, oh, you at least make a couple of hours, putting a couple of videos on the Internet. And this is even before podcasting became a thing. So here I am, I'm playing overseas. Sometimes I would have a job, sometimes I didn't. So around that period between 2008 and 2010, there was a period when I didn't have a job overseas. And I just asked myself, well, how can I get, I was looking for an intersection of three things specifically, Nick. Number one, how can I do something that I love, which is playing ball? Number two, how can I leverage something where I have some natural uh, inclinations and skills which was also ball, but also was the internet and computers. I've always been a really a computer geek. I'm an athlete, but I'm a computer geek. And the third one was, how can I make money from it? So how can I combine these three things together? And that's when I started really putting more time and energy into what we now call personal brand. Again, back then, we weren't using that phrase. Uh, focusing a little bit more on social media. Again, that phrase did not exist. And putting out content. Again, that phrase did not exist. So I just started doing these things. And I remember by around 2010, I was telling, I told somebody like, I don't know what we're going to call this thing I'm doing on the internet, but it's going to be bigger than what I'm doing in basketball. I knew it uh, over 10 years ago. And I started writing books around that same time. That's when I put out my first book was called buy a game. We put that out for free, still give it away for free to this very day Uh, to date, written 27 books. I stopped playing ball in 2015. And as a matter of fact, you probably don't notice Nick, but when we did the fundamentals thing for finish line, we did it two years in a row. So one year we did a shoot in New York, right in Chelsea and then next year, the finish line made it into a three on three tournament. Did you come?
0: Were you there? I was there. That? I just left the finish line right about that okay. time. Yeah.
1: OK. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember you being there, but they made a three on three tournament. And my team won that <laughs> tournament, by the way. Nobody talks about that. None of, <laughs> none of the guys who were there talk about the fact they didn't win. <laughs> but we won. <laughs> and that was the last that was the last official basketball game that I have ever played in. That was in 2015. I've not played a single game of basketball since then. Uh, walked away in 2015, and to now I'm a full-time CEO, uh, owner of my company. It's called Work On Your Game Incorporated, if you couldn't guess. And what we do here is we take the mental tools to get you to the top 1% in the sports world, and we help people, professionals, athletes, entrepreneurs, business professionals, help them translate those tools into their business and into their everyday lives. So that's where we are now.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. That's a that's a hell of a resume, a hell of an introduction. So um, I hope people are, are hooked with that to, to hear a little bit more about your story. So um, I guess, like, let's let's go back to, like, those early years of basketball, right? Because I kind of was in that same boat as you, like, just trying to figure out, like, I knew the internet was going to be a thing, hadn't really figured out where my place mm-hmm. was with it. Um, you know, it was like, right. it was just test everything, right? It was like, hey, this is a free service to, to write right. someplace. You know, like you said, no social media, no anything, right? So it's like you might have a MySpace mm. page, you might have a, a, you <laughs> right. know, a, a, a Google, you know, a blog spot or something like that. But like, I don't, I mean, WordPress wasn't even around back then when it first got started. So, um, so for Enjoy. you, you know, playing like, what was the transition like from like, you know, kind of, I guess like, you know, your introduction into professional basketball? you know, for, I, I think you played mm-hmm. eight, ten years, something like that, you said?
1: Nine years from the start to the end. But again, there were gaps in between, which is yeah. why I got on the internet. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. so like, how, how, did, how did you, you know, like, I'm sure you've probably written about this in some of your earlier books, but like that first, that first, like, step of like, even just playing overseas to, to most people that are going to listen to this is like, wait, you you just said yes and went across the pond and played in another country, like, so what was that like for you? And, and like, how do you kind of look at that now in terms of like the rest of the stuff that you're doing? Cause I, I would assume that that gives you a, a great experience and, and, you know, think and knowledge and, and just a wealth of, uh, you know, I don't know what you would call that, but like what you can apply to what you do every day now, right?
1: Absolutely, because well, the thing is by the time I went overseas, the first place I went was in, I was in Columbus, Lithuania and I had barely been out of the, the city of Philadelphia to that point, I'm 23 years old. I went to school at Penn State, one of the branch campuses, which was a D3 campus, but that's still in the state of Pennsylvania. I had not really spent that much time out of the state. I'd been out of the state, but not that much before then. But I was just, I, I've always been just a, I guess I, you could say an open-minded person. I'm not the type of person who wants to stay where I came from and stay in the neighborhood. Most of the people I grew up with stay around the area. They're still within the 20 minutes of the street we grew up on. Most of the people I went to school with, they're still in the city. They went to school at Temple, which is in Philadelphia, a lot of them, still in the city. I always had my mind on just a bigger picture of how can I go to other places? I would look at TV and I would see Miami. I'm like, man, that's where I'm going to live. I didn't even, I hadn't even seen Miami. I'm like, those palm trees, those girls are, I'm going there. (laughs) I knew that's where I was going even before I had been there. So, when it came to playing overseas, yeah, absolutely. I was 100% ready to go. And at 23, you know, I grew up in that house. I've been in the house 23 years. Like, I don't need to see. I know everything that's in here. Yeah. I, let's go somewhere else. So when I got the opportunity to go somewhere else, I was wide open to going somewhere else. And I think my parents were really happy, too. They were happy that I was going to go, you know, follow my dream. But I think they were also happy, like, get this grown man out of our house so we can, you know, <laughs> have this house to ourselves again. Because I got a sister. She's a year older than me. She was already gone. You know, so I was the only one left. So they're like, all right, whatever, whatever job you got, go take it so you can get out of here. So I'm sure they were happy. So I was always looking to you know, just expand and go see the world. So I've always been that type of person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so about that time when you started on YouTube, you know, I mean, yeah. you kind of, you know, not to, to, to go back to that fundamentals phrase, but like that's kind of what you were doing on YouTube. I, I remember when we first looked at your page, I think Brandon and I were like, OK, we got to get people that are basketball players, but we, we, you know, as a, as a marketing person, you're like trying to balance like basketball, sneakers, lifestyle, all the stuff that the brand is trying to sell. Right. And that's always a tough thing Mm -hmm. because they're very different, you know, like they're very, very different, right. Even just basketball and sneakers people think are the same thing, but they're absolutely not. And so when we were Mm -hmm. looking at your page, I remember thinking like, it's funny you said that the VHS thing, because I remember looking at your very first videos, the first time we looked like whatever that was eight years ago. And I was like, damn, this is dope. Mm-hmm. Because I-, I had the same thing. I played baseball. Like I had like the same kind of, I, sh- I should have done that same thing back then and just been like, yo, let me put this in a place. Cause I don't even have most of that stuff. You know, like it got lost, mm-hmm. damaged, thrown out. Cause we didn't know what was on those VHS tapes, but you kind of transitioned right. from like just a place to, to, to store your old footage into like a lot of like basic fundamental basketball stuff in those early days, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because when I put that first video up and what's funny, you mentioned about tapes getting thrown out. I used to have a bunch of, I used to film NBA games on my VCR at home back in the day. And I left all those VHS tapes. When I moved out of my parents' place, I just left them in the garage. And I remember I spoke to my dad maybe two years ago. I'm like, hey, you remember those VHS tapes I had? Y'all, y'all still had those in the garage, right? And he was like, no, nah, we threw them away. <laughs> so they, they threw all my tapes away. So so you're right. They'll, your parents will get rid of that stuff or somebody's going to get rid of it and you don't hold on to it. So good thing is I had my stuff was on YouTube. And when I started putting those videos out, I was just going off the questions that players were asking me because these are players in the comment section just saying, hey, can you make a video about dribbling? Can you make one about dunking? Can you make one about shooting? I said, all right. Yeah, I mean, I was doing it anyway. So yeah. I really figured, Nick, when I started on YouTube, I figured that the stuff I was doing in the gym every day was what every player was doing. I thought everybody was doing the stuff that I was doing. I thought this, was, I didn't think it was anything special about it. I'm like, all right, anybody who's at this level of basketball probably practices every day. And the only difference is I have a camera. So I didn't think anything I do did was that groundbreaking. But when I started putting it out, I realized like maybe a lot of players aren't doing this stuff. Maybe they don't practice this often. Maybe they don't come to the gym every day like clockwork like I did, even when I didn't have a job. So I realized that the stuff that was basic to me was actually pretty advanced and pretty new to a lot of other people. So that's when I just got the idea. And this is years later. It took a little bit of time for me to realize this was a real opportunity. And that's when I said, all right, I'll just take everything I know about basketball. i write all of it down. And then I'll just make a video for every single thing I can think of. And I didn't think I would last a month. I didn't think I knew that much, but here we are. in those 8,000 videos later, <laughs> I would say about five or 6,000 of them are basketball drills on the court. Yeah. So obviously I knew a lot more than I thought I
0: did. Definitely, man. Well, and I, and I think it's, it's interesting too. Like, you know, you, you have this, you know, basketball career, obviously like, you know, being in shape to play at the the level you're playing at is an important piece to that. But then you're also like, Mm -hmm. you're also just naturally like creating that mental health to like be focused on what you got to get done. Right. And I, and I think that's interesting that you brought that up because I'm, I'm one of those people that wakes up five Oh seven every morning, right? Like that's, that's just Mm -hmm. like how I work. And the more I can stay in that routine, the better off I am. The once I fall out of it, man, it's an easy, slippery slope. And I can be like, you know, week feeling weeks behind just based on, you know, a couple of days worth of not being up early, because I I need that time to, to like, set myself up for the day, be focused and all that stuff. So like, it, as you transition from basketball to writing to your own business, you your CEO now, like that stuff, you know, obviously translates pretty nicely too. in order to I think like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, a lot of athletes or athletes that, you know, want to be pro athletes or high level athletes don't necessarily have mm. those practices. So like, do you have anything that you do on a daily basis where you're like, this is how, you know, like, I remember, so this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but like, I remember when you showed up for the, the first fundamentals and you were like, no, I just need to go yeah. to, to to the bodega and grab a, a bunch of bananas, right? Like I need to have this like – and right. you were just eating healthy Chancy and like market. staying on it yeah. and, and <laughs> staying charged up. Well, right. all the rest of us were like, yo, let's go grab a slice of pizza, right? And it was like – it stuck in my <laughs> right. head, man. Like I think about it all the time because I'm like – it's like it's like it like mm. makes me think of like am I making the right decision right here, right? Because you can walk mm. into any of those places and you have – let's say 10 things to choose from that are healthy and a thousand that are sending you a step backwards. And it's just the natural, like Mm -hmm. way that, you know, society works. But uh, like, what, how does that look like? What are, what are some of the like routine things for you that you're like, Hey, I've got to just stick to this or I've got to do this every day. Cause clearly being in the gym every day and seeing that other people aren't doing it probably was also like, damn, like what are these guys doing? They need to be in the gym doing this every day.
1: Yeah. So working backwards from what you said there, when I realized that what I thought was basic for any athlete in any sport, and I realized that not all athletes were doing it, I looked at that as a competitive advantage. I said, okay, this is how I can get an edge on these guys. They're not working out the way I am. I know they're not going to be in shape the way I am. So we're playing in a game. All right. You might maybe you have me beating talent. Maybe we're even. But I know you're going to get tired before me because I know I'm in shape and I know you're not doing what I'm doing to stay in shape. So I looked at it as a competitive thing, just a way to have an edge on my opponents. And it's the same thing in the business world, even though it's not direct, you know, hand to hand, physical stuff. As far as the routines. I mean, are you kidding me, Nick? My whole life is a routine. So I am, I'm a robot. I'm a human robot. So I wake up same time every day as well. Probably about an hour, maybe hour, 20 minutes before you around 345, four o'clock every day. Same routine. The first four hours of my day are all, I guess what we call now self-care. So that's before I start working. I don't start working until about 730, 8 o'clock. But when I wake up, it's a liter of water, two bananas, yoga, meditation, gym, foam roll, stretch, shave. Take a walk, one one to two mile walk. And I live in South Florida, so the weather's nice all year round. But that's every single day. That is my process, every single day. So that is that's part of my routine. Uh, even the the stuff that I create. When I did, when I was doing the basketball videos, anybody who was watching my stuff back then knows it was the same, even when I did different drills, I did them the same way. The filming was the same way, the camera was always in the same spot. He would always ask me, Drake, why are you on that side court? And I'm like, well, this is the court, this is the court that's available. So this is the one that I'm using. It was the same thing over and over and over again. And to me, I thought maybe at first that people would get bored with it. Like, all right, this guy's just, you no, know, he's setting it up the same way every time. But when I started putting it out, I realized like, people wanted it. People were like, yo, this is what I need. I need somebody who can show me and keep it basic, keep it simple enough that I can understand it. But at the same time, it's giving me value. So for me, I've always just been a highly disciplined individual who I, I routinize almost everything that I do. If I'm going to do something on a consistent basis, I have to in my mind, I'm already thinking about All right, how can I do this in such a way that I can do it over and over and over again with very little variation? Because if I can't get that to work in my mind and I can't make a process out of it and then I can't depend on it. So if I'm going to depend on something and if I'm going to create something from which other people are going to depend on me, or be willing to pay me for it, I had to be able to do it consistently and be able to do it on call, even when I don't feel like it, even when the conditions may not be perfect, but it has to be something I can do over and over again. So, And I remember what you're talking about when we were in, doing the fundamentals and we were in New York. And I remember I went to the, the Chelsea market and they have all yeah, these yeah. different places to shop in there. Yeah. I went in there and I was looking for some spinach and some fruit. Those are the two things that I need. I need spinach, fruit and water. As long as I got those three, I'm good. So I found all three. Water was easy to find. The spinach and the fruit had to look a little bit, found those and we were good to go with that. So, yes, I am highly routine, disciplined. Again, I'm, I'm like a human robot. So, yes, to answer your question,
0: how, how how when did that start for you? Were you, you know, is that like a teenage thing or is that like a basketball thing? How, how did that become? How did you or I guess maybe when did you realize that the routine was so important?
1: Well, it started with playing ball when I was just trying to learn how to play. So I'm you know, 14, 15, 16, trying to make the high school team wasn't working, but there was nobody to teach me. And there's no YouTube, no Instagram at this time. So I didn't have anything to go off of. So I would just go to the court and just try stuff and just practice stuff. And I just kept trying and slowly I started to get better. And again, I didn't even make my, I didn't get any real recognizable success in basketball until I was a freshman in college. So all of these years, I'm just working on my game and practicing. Even the one year in high school, I'm sitting on the bench, but I was slowly improving. I could, I could feel my improvement, even though there were no tangible results for me to show to anyone. So that's the first place I got it from. And then once I got to college, I had access to an indoor gym for the first time in my life. I remember when the season ended my freshman year. And now mind you, my first year, I was at Penn State Abington, which was at the time you can only play two years of sports. So a lot of my teammates, they were on their second year. So their careers are pretty much over after the season ended. So the season ends after the season. I go to the gym. I'm looking forward to the end of the season because I'm like, now I can work on my game. I know I need to get better at. I know where I was weak. I know I need to lift weights because no guys might post me up in the game. I know I need to work on my handle and work on my shot. So I'm excited for the offseason so I can get better. As soon as the season ends, I didn't see any of those guys ever again. They never came in the gym. They weren't working on their games. And I'm like, okay, well, this is. I guess not everybody is as, as on it as I am. So the first place it came from was sports. And then when it came to like taking care of my body, when it came to taking care of my body. That's probably the next thing. It was just me just paying attention to sports. So I would read the stories of even athletes outside of my sport, people like Jerry Rice or uh, Michael Jordan, even though he was a generation before I was you no, know, even you no know, seriously playing people like that. And the way that they took care of their bodies and how they would have trainers and how they would stay away from junk food and drink water. And these are things that, mind you, we didn't start talking about. It didn't become mainstream to talk about health, like drinking water and clean eating and being vegan and plant based. That didn't become a normal mainstream thing. So maybe five years ago, maybe. Yeah. But even before that, I would tell people, I was telling people this around eight years ago, like we all got common sense, though. You know that a bag of chips is not good for you. Uh, you don't need a book about veganism to know that. Right, you know that a bottle of water is better than a bottle of beer. All right, we already know this. So I was just starting to make these better decisions as far as taking care of my body. And mind you, when I'm a pro athlete and I'm playing, people would see me and they're like, all right, you're in good shape like an athlete. Yeah, but I haven't played a game of basketball, like I told you, in six years. But I, I, could, I still look like I can go play because over time it starts to become a you, it starts to pay off in a way that people notice it. And they're like, all right, what sport do you play? I don't, I don't play a sport. I write books. <laughs> you know, but I stay in shape, you know? So it's always been a thing for me to just take care of my body, uh, take care of my mind, because you only get one of each of those. And then when I got into the business world, it was learning a new set of skills. But at the same time, I'm always thinking the same way, Nick, how can I routineize this? How can I set this up in such a way that I can do it over and over and over again? And how can I set it up in a way that I can teach somebody else to do it for me? So, eventually maybe I can pass at least some tasks off to other people because I can't do everything by myself. So it was always just looking for that way to make a process out of it.
0: Yeah, man, that's so awesome. So how, mm-hmm. like, let's, let's talk about like the, the first book that you did, what was the, mm-hmm. what was the process like for you moving into that? And how do you decide, I guess, like which direction to go with that first book? Because you know, you, you've got a wealth of knowledge, you've got a wealth of experience, you've got sports, you've got business, like all of it ties together. But, you know, like that first one's got to be intimidating, you know, just as someone who had never done it before to, to like take that leap of faith yeah. and be like, okay, this is the right direction for me to go and, you know, and start. So what was that process like for you and how did you, I guess, like incorporate that into, you know, like, like was the business... Ask the, the business side of it, always the long, long play picture for you or, you know, or the, the long game for you. Or was the book kind of like, hey, this works and I'm enjoying it. And like, let me run even harder at this and work even harder at this.
1: So as far as the business side goes, I read a book called Ritz Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki around 2001. That was my introduction to what we now know as entrepreneurship. Now, at this point, I'm in the middle of college. No one had ever introduced this information to me before. All I saw was you know the grown-ups around me, most of them were, you know, they had jobs, and some of them did have you know small businesses where they you know made their own money, but they were it was kind of like more on a self-employed side where they pretty much were doing all the work, so even though they didn't technically have a boss, it was still them doing everything. They weren't thinking like, how do I expand this? Can I get some people in place? Can I make a process to where I can hire somebody? And if they quit, I can hire somebody else. They can do the same thing. None of them were seemed to be thinking like that. And if they were, they weren't talking about it. They were not sharing that knowledge. Like, hey, Dre, here's what if you might want to get a job when you get out of school, but hey, here's how you can be an entrepreneur. Here's how you do it. Nobody was teaching that information to me. So when I read Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, very first chapter of the book where he just talked about don't always work for money. Don't always trade your time for money. Try to get your money to work for you. It, these are just brand new concepts to me. And when I read the book, the first thing I thought of, I just thought of the people that I knew that he was describing, who were doing it the you know, quote-unquote wrong way. Not necessarily yep. wrong, but I'm like, these are all the adults that I know. And the thing about the adults I knew growing up, and I'm going to tie this into your question, was that they, first of all, they were always at work. Secondly, even though they were always at work, they never had any extra money. And third they never seemed excited about going to work. They would always say, I have to go to work. It was like a necessary evil. So I'm like, all right, well, they're grooming me to do the same thing they did. Go to school, get a degree, get a job. But well, they don't seem happy with what they're doing. And it's taking up most of their lives. So I'm, I was looking for any alternative. I didn't know what, but anything other than that, I was looking for it. So when I read Robert Kiyosaki, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now, while Robert was mostly talking about his main thing was real estate. But yeah. when I read the book, I'm like, all right, I can apply this to something else, even if I don't get into real estate. And around this time, we're just starting to see the Internet is just starting to come up. So this is when we have um, MySpace. We have uh, Black Planet. I don't know if you were on Black Planet. It was some, it was yeah. some white people on there. Yeah, Black Planet um, and these sites. And then eventually we get the social media sites that we now all know and love. So when it came to the book, I wrote my first book. That was about 2010. And the reason that I wrote the book is because I'm just replying to all these comments on YouTube from this audience of people who are watching my videos. And they were just asking me about my background, because when they saw the videos, they were like, obviously, this dude, he looks like he can play. But who is he? We never heard of him. Never yeah. seen him on TV. Like, who is this guy? So they was just asking me questions like, where are you from? Where'd you play? And I would just be answering the questions in the comments or I make little videos telling them like, yo, I got cut from my high school team three years in a row. And what happened is a lot of these players identify with me, Nick, because... I was them, because what I tell people all the time is: for every LeBron James that you hear about, there are ten thousand Drake Baldwins, right? Who might have the skill to maybe do something in basketball, but they're not—they're not the chosen one. They're not so anointed that they just have this yellow brick road to success. Not to say that LeBron didn't earn his, but most players have to work a lot. Most players have to put in a lot of work just to get close to where he is at. And the players, when they heard my story, they're like, OK, well, I'm not LeBron. I wasn't you know All-State as a freshman. I need to make the team as a freshman. I need to make the freshman team as a freshman. So when they heard my story, they're like, OK, I got cut from my high school team at least two years in a row. All right. He got cut three years and he still made it. He can play. That means there's a chance for me. So they they saw in me what they could possibly become. So I'm representing hope for those players. And I wrote my first book. It's called Buy a Game. And it was all just about telling my story when I first started playing ball. It was just about basketball. When I first started playing from 14 up through my college years, and it was just a narrative just going straight through. And the funny thing about the book, Nick, when I went back to do the audio version about five years later in 2015, and I, you know, you had to read your book to do the audio version, the book wasn't even very well written. It was a very poorly written book. It's probably my worst written book of all my <laughs> books because it was the first one. But the, the funny thing about it is nobody ever complained about the writing of that book. We gave away 50,000 copies of that book for free. But nobody ever complained about the writing. Nobody ever complained about the grammatical or spelling errors or told me I could improve my, my style or anything because the yep. audience was just so bought into this guy represents what I could become. And that was really the thing with that book. And that was the, that's the only book of all my books where I'm just telling a story about myself. My book, Work on Your Game, which you have my story is spiced into it. But all my other books are more tactical, logical. Here's right. how you do something that one is the only one Buy a game is the only one where it's just me talking about myself.
0: Yeah. It's, it's crazy too, because the, you know, that, that relationship with, with your audience and you, I, I look Mm -hmm. at that in the same way, everything I do, right? Like I am never going to be like, you know, the superstar that you see as a superstar on TV or on, you know, the ESPN, whatever that is. But I hope that people even listening to this and the conversations that I have on this podcast on a regular basis are like, these are the things because they're like going back to what you said about Robert Kiyosaki. Right. That was one of the first ones for me, too. Right. That, uh, you know, I don't want to like plug somebody else's book, but like that first chapter of that book is amazing. You should read that. It will, you know, you'll either realize, hey, I'm into this and I'm going to continue with it or you'll hear it and then you're going to come you know, read Dre's book and be like, okay, this is where I want to go with this. But to me, Mm -hmm. I didn't get past, I didn't, I've read the whole thing, but I didn't like, it didn't click the way, like for me, that was, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss and the, and the four hour work week. Right. It was like, this guy Mm -hmm. is setting up revenue streams. This is what matters to me. I don't want to ever be that person wakes up on Sunday dreading that they've got to work on Monday. Right. And like, that's been basically Mm -hmm. like. The struggle when, you know, you and I met while I was working a corporate job and like I ebb and flow out of them because sometimes it'll be tempting It'll be like, okay, this would be a fun thing to try. And I usually last 18 months before I'm like, look, this just it's I'm I'm not cut out to have like this schedule based on somebody else's schedule. Like that just doesn't work for me. Mm. I'll work harder than anybody. I just don't want to work at somebody else's like demand or time or whatever that is, because for me, it's always like. The flexibility and like, like I said, being able to get up early and do these things, where like that to me is like Mm -hmm. the the thing that I like really just it it keeps me going. But to circle back, like I think that you know I'm going to guess that like even back then, like you probably were you making any money off of YouTube at that point in
1: 2010. I think that was the first year where I started to get some direct deposits. Maybe I remember little, my first one okay. was like one hundred and ten dollars, and I was like, hey, "Yeah, something here."
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's that's one of those things. Like, I, I have those same things where it's just like you see that little bit, and you're like, "Oh man, it's just it's just about duplicating this, replicating the work, figuring out how to how exactly. to take this from zero to a hundred, one to a hundred, right?" But like, that's right. also one thing I wanted to point out is like you had already been uploading stuff for probably four or five years easily before you even yep. started seeing that. And then on top of that, like the book and and you know and giving away copies. How did you like? How did you decide like? I just got to give this away because that's that's uh, most people that are going to listen to this are going to be like you worked for five years and then you didn't even sell that first book.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. At the same time, all these basketball players are asking me for tips on how to get better at basketball. So that same year, and you mentioned Tim Ferriss. I'm glad you mentioned his name because I read that Four Hour Work Week as well. And he kind of took it. He took Robert Kiyosaki's ideas from my head and he digitized it, right? He made it. Here's yeah. how you do it on the internet. Yeah. And that's why I might. Like, and that's when I started reading his stuff and reading his blog. And he's the one who showed me how I could actually set up and sell a product on the internet. So this is how I started monetizing YouTube before I was monetizing YouTube. I started selling basketball training programs on this is probably about a year before my book came out. And this was just. Remember, the players would always ask me, Drake, can you make a program for me? And I would say no, because it was too many of them. I can't make a program for every player. And then one player left a comment and they said, well, Drake, why don't you just write down what you do every day and let everybody else follow it? Just put it out and everybody can just train how you train. I said, Okay, I can do that, but I'm giving you value. Y'all got to pay for that. Would you pay? And the players in the comments are like, yeah, we'll pay as long as it's not too much money. Now, at the same time, I just had this inherent understanding. I'm talking to the 13 to 24 demographic. Now, I'm thinking, what did I have when I was 13 to 24? I didn't have that much money. I might have some pocket money. I had little side jobs, no Pizza Hut, McDonald's, no $60, $70 a week. All right, what can I charge these kids? So I was selling programs for $4.99, but we sold tens of thousands of those programs because we knew exactly who we were selling to. We had an eager audience. And as a matter of fact, I will take credit for YouTube changing their algorithm. Around 2014, 2015, because we were sending so many people off YouTube to our website that I think we were one of the people that made them mad. So they, they changed the algorithm. You can't, you can't send people to your website from YouTube. So <laughs> that's a side note. But anyway, that's how I got started selling programs through my YouTube videos. And they would just, I was just have a link like, Hey, all right, here's a crossover move. Here's how you do it. You want a whole program for crossovers? Go to this link right here. It's in the description. And you know, y'all know how we do and the annotations and all that stuff. I was doing that heavy and from 2009 yeah. through all those years, I was playing ball. So when I put the book out, I wasn't looking at books as a revenue stream. I was just putting the book out just to tell my story. It was really just a way to give back to my audience. I didn't really care about making money from a book because at that time, my mentality was, What I had heard from authors was you don't make money selling books. That's what I'd always heard. You don't make any money selling books because they were talking about the traditional publishing world where, and I have a traditional, I have books that are traditionally published and you don't make money from them because the publisher is getting all the money and half the money is going to whoever sold the book, Borders or Amazon or whoever, and then whatever's left, 20 people take their cut and then you get what remains. So with traditional publishing, you don't make money, but this is again, 2010 before the no, the self-publishing wave came about a few years later. Now you can make money selling books because you can sell them direct to consumer, which I do now. I got envelopes right here to ship out to customers of books (laughs) that I sell myself. So it's a whole, it's a different ball game now. So I had a different mentality, but as I got new information, then I just picked up a new approach. But that first book was not about making money. It was just about giving to my audience. And it was really brand building. I wasn't thinking about it that way, these are just things that I just naturally understood. There's no other way I can explain it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. It's 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 crazy how much that landscape has changed, you know, like with, right. like you said, re, you know, going back and reading. I, I also would say the same thing. Like every once in a while, somebody will send me something or, or that, that they read that I wrote you know, eight years ago. And I'm like, I cringe because I like right. see all the mistakes now after doing it for so long. Right. I don't want to like, read it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see this, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so I guess like, let's, let's talk a little bit about the book stuff because now you've got, yeah. you know, the, I think you make a great point about the, the publishers, right? Like it's, mm. I, I think there's, you would probably agree as you've done many different versions, like there's value in all these different things, right? Sometimes you can, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you could have a publisher that that's going to, you know, I don't know, bring enough money to the table that gets you a, a bigger marketing opportunity or something that, you know, like maybe you get featured in, I don't know, some crazy magazine or, or paper or whatever that is to like, there's, there's value there, but you've got to figure it out. And I think that's interesting about the, the kind of landscape now. And, and I guess like, how, how do you look at it? Because with traditional publishing with audiobooks with you know the the ebook type thing and then with you know self publishing and now we we are even seeing like this kind of rise in this like i don't know if you would call it like m- like independent publishers right like there's a lot more access you know like because people all look at the system and think well these big publishers are missing the boat on on so many things that like you have mm-hmm. these other kind of smaller smaller, they're not really startups, but like smaller publishing companies where like the deals are slightly structured, slightly different. Maybe instead of getting an upfront, you're getting better residuals or or better commissions off the sales or whatever that is. So how, in your experience with, you know, written so many books, how have you chosen to navigate that space and, and how do you look at it now versus, you know, like you said, the first, the first one where it was, you know, you weren't even thinking about it necessarily as a revenue stream.
1: Well, what changed is so Tim Ferriss just put me on to just understanding how you can create and sell your own products online. He introduced me just to different ways of making everything in-house and being self-contained because another part of the story that uh, we didn't mention, the reason I was even looking for that was I remember when YouTube opened up their partner partner program. I don't know what they call it now. Maybe it's just called YouTube because everybody has ads. But (laughs) I've read the contract and the contract said you get 55% of the money, they get 45%. I didn't like that split even from day one. I didn't like that because I'm like, there's no negotiation. They're just taking damn near half the money. So what are they going to do when they get more leverage? And to this day, there's still no competitor to YouTube, really. So I didn't like that. And I said, what if they, I mean, they could just decide to kick me off one day randomly for any reason whatsoever. And I don't really have any say. So I knew I always looked at YouTube as somebody that I would I would date, but I wasn't going to marry YouTube. I never looked at YouTube as I was going to stay there. I needed to be self-contained. And when I read Tim Ferriss, that's when I understood, Okay, this guy, he's talking the language that I need to understand. I didn't know what he was talking about when I read it. I said, okay, this is what I need to be doing. So years later, I came across Russell Brunson, who does ClickFunnels, and he introduced me to the concept of sales funnels where you can have your products and not only make the first sale, but then you can make another sale, another sale, another sale, and you can automate the whole process. And when I first heard Russell talk, I realized to myself that I probably missed out on, I probably only made about 30% of the money I should have made up to that point as an entrepreneur, because I didn't have upsells. I didn't have a process for selling the next product to that same customer. I was only making one-off sales. We had done well in one-off sales, but I had no idea what I was doing. Once I heard Russell, I realized that I didn't know anything. I thought I knew a lot until I heard him. So when it comes to the books nowadays, to answer your question, since I have so many, one of the things that we focus on is bundling them together. So we can take one book and we'll make a bundle out of it. So, okay, instead of just getting this book about, I wrote a book about playing overseas, but then I made a bundle about playing overseas. Here's one about agents. Here's one about camps. Here's one about the business side, put it together. Now you can get the bundle instead of getting one book. And also when it comes to things like courses, you can take a book and make it be the entry level product, and then we'll get you into a course. And then we get you into a bigger course. Then maybe there's a workshop and maybe there's group coaching or one-on-one coaching. So we can ascend people up that what they call the value ladder. And again, these all were new terms to me when I first came across them. And these are things I just learned maybe around 2014, 20, between 2014 and 2016. And also when it comes to the books is really the main thing is that self-contained piece is having your own platforms, like having your own websites and having your own sales funnels pages. And yes, still use the social media because that's where everybody is at and you can you know, grab people from there. But I always want to focus on having a, a self-contained place where people can find me and even places like uh, Substack now. I've been looking at that, like the way that you can write and get paid for your writing and people are everything subscription now, right? Yeah. Nothing. Everything is subscription based. So that's Is something I've always just looked at. How can we be self contained? Use the social media platforms, but again, don't marry them. Don't build your house on those because they can snatch that land from under your feet whenever they feel like it, or they can just change the terms of the deal to where it just doesn't look the same for you. So how can you be in control? So personally, Nick, even though I was playing ball and doing YouTube and even all the stuff that I do now, I've always looked at myself as a businessman, period. Basketball is a business. YouTube's a business. Writing books is a business. And it's always just looking at if you're going to be an owner of a business, you had to have control. If you don't have control, you don't own anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. So true. Mm-hmm. Do you do you uh, like let's talk like a little bit about your your kind of, I guess, like your your routine and uh, mm-hmm. how you apply that to whether that's the content or the books that you're creating, because I would yeah. imagine like you've got it chopped up and, and like divvied up like to, to, you know, and mapped out well in advance before you actually get to the point of like, okay, this is done. Right. So what does that process look Mm -hmm. like for you? And how do you, I guess, how would it relate from like the way you approach, you know, staying in shape, you know, working on your game in the gym versus like the book writing or the content and kind of all these levels that you're speaking about within your business?
1: So, when it comes to writing a book, the process that I do for that is first, I just first thing is just come up with what's the concept going to be. Really, the first thing that comes to my mind is the title what is the book going to be, so that I can get a a picture in my mind of what I want it to be about. And then I just make a framework for the book what are the main overarching points that I want to give? So, some people call that an outline, I don't necessarily always do an outline but I'll just put my main, the biggest points that I want people to get from that book. Because I have books where I have you know, a bunch of one and two page chapters. It might be 80 chapters. And I also have books where it's maybe 12 chapters and they're all you know, 20 or so pages. So it's just different how I just want to lay it out, figuring that out. And then I just start writing Then I just brain dump. And if I'm going to come, if I'm going to write a book, I already have all the content in my head. I already know all the things that I want to say. So I just write everything that I want to say. And then the hard work really is the editing process. So that's when it comes to writing the book is just making sure we edit down to where the essential words, the things that we absolutely must say, you know, pruning all the sentences, having people read over it, proofreading, et cetera. That's the way we do the book. But what was the question you were asking about when it comes to the business?
0: Uh, Just, just in the process, I guess, like, you know, do you, do you kind of take that same approach with like, I'm, I'm just like thinking about the way, like you, you've had such focused videos for the basketball stuff and then it sounds like you're kind of doing mm-hmm. the same thing uh, i guess a little bit in on on the back end with like the the editing right which you know it's kind of the same way i work in terms of writing right like it's like let me just get mm-hmm. all this stuff out and then let me cut it up into like the package that you're that you're kind of putting out there does it is that same kind of process work for you on the business side and like you know, the other aspects of the, of the business. And like you said, the funnels, cause I think that's something that, you know, you, you've mentioned like those learning points, right. And the people that you're learning from. And I think that's, I, I, I mm-hmm. find myself in that same place. Right. And like, it's always like, who is the next person that I'm going to like, just latch on to some of the ideas that come from it and apply it to the stuff I'm already thinking, but I just need it. I need somebody else's words to be like, Oh no, this is how it's supposed to be. Not this, 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 you know, and like, um, I don't know. So that's, I guess, like in the business sense, do you have that same kind of like cutting up and, and divvying up the work aspect of it? Or is it, mm. you know, just like, I guess, like more like the book where it's like the brain dump type thing. And then you just figure out which one works. Okay. And, and I guess like how um, run this is long run. But like, how do you go about even processing that? Right. Where it's like, oh, this this needs to be, uh, you know, put out in this form, or this needs to be put into this funnel or, or whatnot.
1: Okay. I see what you're saying. So in the business world is a little bit, there's a little bit, a few more moving parts than from basketball. So basketball is really uh, cut and dry, pretty black and white. And simple on how I could put things together and what you do. The thing about basketball or sports in general is that there's a scoreboard It's black and white. Everybody knows what the score is in sports. Business is way different. Not everyone has the same goals, not everyone has the same circumstance, and not everybody's even playing the same game. So when it comes to business, what I do is first of all, the main delivery that where people really find me these days in business is either actually doing having conversations like this where you know your audience, people from your audience are gonna find out about me who otherwise wouldn't know about me. And then I have a solo show, a podcast, I call it masterclass, called Work on Your Game, where every day I'm just talking. And it's very it's structured. It's point number one, point number two, point number three. Recap the points and it's over. I do that every single day. So that's really the way that people find me these days. And when it comes to the business, it's different also because, Nick, not everybody who finds me is looking for the same thing. You know, like there are people in your audience who just love sneakers. So they follow you because they know you know sneakers. But I'm sure you have people in your audience who are, they might not be sneaker heads, but... There's something else about what you do that they're interested in. So you may have people from different walks of life. So I have I still have basketball players who follow me. I have players who used to play ball when they were 15. They thought they were going to the NBA, but now they're 25. They're accountants. They run their own businesses. They're married. They have kids. They don't play ball anymore. But they still follow me because of the mindset stuff that I talk about. There are entrepreneurs who found out about me only after I start stopped playing basketball. So they found out about me because I was talking about entrepreneurship stuff. So, I have different, all different people from all different backgrounds uh, parents, uh, people who want to build a brand. They want to make a name for themselves or be some type of influencer online. So, I have people from all different walks who are going in all different places. So, what we had to do in business is we had to kind of segment our audiences where we have certain things that we can offer to everybody. Like, everybody can read the book, work on your game, doesn't matter what you do. But we have other books that are only for certain audiences, and we have other courses and certain products that are only for certain audiences. And at some points, we also have to make tough decisions. Okay, like what is, what do I want our main avatar to be? Who we really want to focus on, and what our, what we really focus on is really the entrepreneur, the business professional. So that could be a pro athlete who I coach some pro athletes when it comes to the mental side, discipline and confidence and things like that, not on the court training, and then entrepreneurs who are really looking for the same thing, that mental game. No bulletproof in their mindset. And some people, when it comes to just building a framework, maybe they have some knowledge and things they want to put out into the world, but they need to create a framework so they can share it with other people the same way that, like you said, you read work on your game. I explained the framework in the first chapter of that book. It's one, two, three, four. So I help other business people, entrepreneurs who have knowledge and they want to put it out to the world, but they don't know how to organize it. I help them do that. So that's really our main focus.
0: Nice man, it's 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 so awesome because I just think the you know hearing your understanding of that too because it's kind of like if I would relate it to like you know the work that I did at Finish Line right like just that whole concept of like mm-hmm. the average person that you work with at, at a business doesn't understand that like a Michael Jordan fan might not be a sneakerhead a sneakerhead might not exactly. even know who Allen Iverson is right like they especially mm-hmm. now because. You know, you've got Virgil Abloh and Kanye and like you've got just massive amounts of people that are in sneakers in some aspect or another. But to me, Mm -hmm. everybody's just carving their little piece off and being like, okay, cool. Like this is the audience that I'm going to take from this. And they're going to be a fan of of me as an individual because of what I do. It's you know, it's rarely I kind of joke about it, but it's, it's true. Like I never care what shoes somebody is wearing. Right. Like I I mean, don't get me wrong, like it's sneakers are important to me. Because they've been a part of my journey and like I've worked within this space and, you know, the consulting work that I do in this space now is still in the business of footwear. But I don't, I don't, like if you and I were in the same city, I would never, we would never meet up and I'd be like, yo, what are you wearing today? Like that isn't about, that's like so far from what I care about. But I think that's like an interesting Mm -hmm. aspect of, of like, you know, applying that, you know, kind of sneaker mentality or the, the mentality that I need in the sneaker world business of sneakers to the business world that you're working in where like you do have to really know who your customer is and who your consumer is and who your fan is because those people are the people right. that end up supporting you. Um, before I forget, I was going to ask you, did you ever read, um, there was this, it was a short thing uh, written by the guy. The guy's name is Kevin Kelly. It was called the thousand true fans. Oh, of course. So so that's one of the things that I yeah. think is I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this just thinking like, well, this is, this is what it is, right? Like, and you can have a thousand mm-hmm. fans in every nuance of your business and every nuance of your books. Even, and each one just becomes mm-hmm. its own. It could become its own world, you know, to, to your point about like, if you could, you know, even delegate some of the work that goes into creating and, and doing in those spaces, it's, it's limitless. If you think of that, you know, in, in my, in my mind, that's kind of where I go back to with like the mindset of this stuff too, with like always keeping in mind that some of these people, are just a fan of you and your brand as you go go and grow because that's what they resonate Mm -hmm. with. And especially the more, like I definitely don't put myself out there in the same way that you have. And, you know, like even back at finish line, it was like, I'm the behind the scenes guy putting everything together, but I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm going to post a social to support this stuff. But like, I didn't have a YouTube or anything back then. It was like, I I did all that stuff behind the scenes and I'm like, "Ah, I'm cool. I'd rather be behind the scenes and working, you know, that way. But, I guess, like, mm-hmm. my, my kind of, like, we'll wrap up here real quick, but, like, I guess one of my last questions would be, like, you know, what would be your advice, I guess, for, for kind of looking at your, your journey in, like, three stages, right? You kind of have, like, the, the basketball career, your, you know, your career as an mm-hmm. author and your career as a business person. And mm-hmm. maybe could you give like a, a piece of advice either across the board or even nuanced enough to each of those kind of steps that you've taken to, you know, let's say like the, the 16, 17-year-old Dre as you're trying to like, you know, move forward at that time.
1: Let's see. What advice would I give to that person? Yeah. Man, uh, several things. The first thing is start self-educating. That's the number one thing that I wish someone had told me earlier. I didn't really get into what we now know as personal development. I didn't even know it was called that until around that time I found Robert Kiyosaki. It was in the middle of college. I was always into reading because my parents always had books in the house, but no one ever introduced me to this concept where you can go read something or watch something or attend an event And somebody's just going to tell you how to make your brain stronger and make yourself a more valuable, useful member of society. So number one thing is start self-educating, meaning taking in material that your teachers didn't assign to you, but you chose to take in on your own. That'd be number one. Number two is really just uh, taking the of the law of association, uh, knowing that you become the average of the people you spend the most time with, no matter how many of them it is. Whoever you're spending time around, those are the people you'll become. And Another thing is finding your virtual mentors connected to that. a, A virtual mentor is someone that you're learning from. You're taking in most of their stuff, even though you never met them. They don't even know who you are, but you're taking in all of their material. That that is part of your law of association. That can be a person you spend a lot of time with. The good thing about the world we're in today, as opposed to back in the 90s, is that you could choose whoever you want as a virtual mentor and anybody who has enough material out there. All right. They can be they can be your best friend. They can be the person whose voice you hear more than anybody's and. I've had so many young men reach out to me and tell me, like, Dre, look, I didn't have a big brother or you know, I didn't have my father in my life. But your voice, you were like the big brother to me because I was hearing you on those weekly motivation videos. And that's something we didn't talk about. But the weekly motivations is what led to you know, the books and the speaking and stuff. when I was talking about that mindset stuff. And you can learn from whoever you want to learn from as long as you're willing to take in whatever it is that they have. And people who have created success out here, people like yourself... We are, we're putting ourselves out there. We're telling the world how we think. We're telling the world what's on our minds and what we're doing. So the material is out there for anyone to learn from. And the last thing would be really just self-ownership, just taking personal accountability for what you do, where you're at, where you're going, where you're headed, who you're spending time around, and also for your mistakes and for the results of your actions. And that's a, a really important thing if you want to step into a position of uh, power and responsibility in life is that you have to have personal accountability for what you do because the more somebody else has to hold you accountable, the less ownership you're going to have of your own situation in your own life. Yeah, man,
0: that's that's such great advice. Like, I don't, I, I can't co-sign that advice any harder because I, I feel like it's, it's almost what I was even saying. You know, with me jumping in and out of these professional career spaces where it's like, well, it's, mm-hmm. it's there's value there for me at times, but most of the time it's, it's never fulfilling in the way that like my life is outside of those opportunities. But, right. um, so I, I guess like last but not least, let's definitely let, let people know how to find you, where they can connect, what they can look for, um, in, in, you know, finding you and, and grabbing one of the books that you've done and maybe even getting some coaching.
1: Sure. Well, I got a book people can get for free if they just covered the a shipping for us. Can I share that? Yep. All right. Well, that's this this book right here called The Mirror of Motivation. Subtitle is Self-Guide to Self-Discipline. We have people start with this book. I know you started working on your game, but we have people start with this book because discipline is the first of the four principles of working on game philosophy, the other three being confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. And while most people don't wake up in the morning and look for somebody to give them discipline, the great thing about this book is that this book is going to help you answer a key question that most people never ask. Because most people who listen to this conversation, they probably have goals and they're willing to do the work. But many people just go straight into doing work and wondering when is it going to produce the results? Just work hard, get the result. That seems logical. Many, many people, Nick, never ask themselves the question, who do I need to be? What kind of person do I need to be? What kind of energy do I need to have? How do I need to see myself when I look in the mirror? How do I need to walk into a room? This book will give you the frameworks to ask yourself that question and for you to answer the question. So it's not me telling you who to be, because that wouldn't make any sense. And it's not me hyping you up because that doesn't last. It's me giving you the frameworks for you to ask yourself who you need to be. You becoming that person, you be it, then you go do the stuff, then you have the result. So we will give you this book, The Mirror of Motivation for free. Like I said, all we ask is that you help us out by covering the shipping. By going to mirrorofmotivation.com. So, just the title of the book without the, the? mirrorofmotivation.com. Books free, just cover the shipping for us.
0: Cool, cool. Well, uh, I'll make sure I link to that in the description wherever you're checking this out, whether you're listening, watching on YouTube, or sure. whatnot. Um, and then uh, also, I guess, like, where can people connect with you on social media?
1: Oh, uh, well, I'm on everything except everything except TikTok. That's the only one I'm not active on yet. But people some people have told me I should try it. We'll see. <laughs> but I'm on uh, Twitter's at Dre All Day. Instagram at Dre Baldwin. My YouTube's just look up my name, Dre Baldwin. And uh, any social media platform you enjoy, just put my name up. I'm on there. I'm probably most active. I use the stories all day on Instagram. So that's probably the place where you probably find me most actively. But I'm on everything on the Internet. So anywhere you look, I'm going to be there. And cool, post cool, well, almost every platform <laughs> every day.
0: I appreciate you, you know, spending the time catching up with you. It's good to, good to see you're uh, still continuing on your journey and the success you've had with it. So um, thanks again for taking the time with me, man. I, I really do appreciate it.
1: Really appreciate you, Nick. Thank you for having me on.
0: You bet. All right, everyone, make sure you follow Dre and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace.